better, smarter, faster. The neural network needed to power the digital ecosystem of healthcare is poised to transform care both inside and outside of hospital walls in traditional care settings. Meaningful data analytics positioned in real time to drive better diagnostics, intelligent operations, seamless care coordination, and integrated telehealth. This is the future of connected healthcare. We talk to the experts about transformational roadmaps for this evolving landscape, what's working, what's needed, and how we get there together. Welcome to Healthcare On Air, presented by Verizon. Welcome back to the podcast for part two of my discussion with Abner Mason, founder and CEO of Same Sky Health, and Robin Goldsmith, healthcare innovation advisor for Verizon. We're talking about the health equity landscape for 2023. If you missed the first half of our discussion, hit that pause, go to our channel and listen to part one. If you've already done that, welcome back. Today, we're gonna to talk about technology. How do we build technology that ensures equitable access and use for everyone? Let's dive in. So let's pivot towards technology. Um, which can be both a barrier and a bridge where these issues are concerned. We, we see a whole lot of people developing tech um, now, even more so with health equity in mind, but certainly a, a whole lot of tech innovation that's flooded healthcare in the last you know, five to 10 years. Uh, and post, during and post-pandemic, even more of that, um, addressing some of those issues when, in the, the acceleration of telehealth adoption, et cetera. Um, but, but I would say that we've seen plenty of instances where the more focus on and nuanced complexity of that technology, the, the cool factor things that are developed are not often developed uh, with access and utility and digital um, you know, literacy and all of those other issues in mind. Where, where, where would you say both, and this is both to both of you, Abner and Robin, where are we seeing some folks do that well, um, who are beginning to look at the balance between, and you mentioned text messaging earlier, which I was actually going to bring up Abner, because we've seen that at Verizon too. Like sometimes there's this rush to develop, um, complex capabilities where actually some simple, uh, feature and functionality is, is going to do the job better and actually provide a, you know, a, a bigger doorway for people to use it. Um, wh where does tech layer in here, here in terms of, you know, being a bridge and a barrier at times? Thoughts on that? I'll start with the barrier first, right? Because to your earlier point, Abner, you know, we all saw it in, in stark contrast, those folks who had devices and connectivity during the pandemic, they could engage in healthcare, they could have a telemedicine visit, they could their kids could do their homework, engage in educations, and those who didn't have it were left behind. So those that's super positive. I think the the challenge is when you're talking about, you know, the folks that consume the most amount of healthcare are typically older folks, right? That aren't used to, you know, some of them aren't used to texting, doing the things that, you know, this digital first, digital first natives are used to doing. So this technology, this digital divide is real. So how do we make it as easy to use as possible? I was encouraged in the pandemic that out of necessity, a lot of folks had to learn it, right? They had to get their son or daughter to come in and teach me how to do it because I, I needed to do it. I had to you know, engage my doctor in, in some, some, you know, cadence or do my homework. So, you know, there are certain, there's barriers. A positive is that, you know, if you look at the data, most folks um, you know, across the country, you know, there's prevalence of a smartphone, 
you know, that, that sometimes, you know, takes precedence over other things that might, you know, maybe should take precedence, but most folks have a smartphone in what one way, shape or form. Um, so I think those are kind of my th- initial thoughts. I'd love to hear from Abner kind of to see where he's coming from. Yeah. So I, I totally uh, shared, agree with your perspective there, Rob. And I think, um, a couple things. One, uh, what we're finding, and this is at Same Sky Health, we we find that people really prefer to engage uh, uh, via uh, text message, for example. And so, I do want to just bring this issue out. Uh, that <laughs> it's this it's this ongoing challenge we have that there's an old piece of legislation called the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. I think passed in 19 you know, 98 or something. Uh, it's like almost 30 years old. Um, yeah. And it, it basically uh, says if you send a text message without having permission to send it, you'll get a fine. And it's a fine per infraction. So think if you're a Medicaid plan in the U.S., you've got, you know, 10 million members or 2 million members or a million members. And the only way those folks are going to engage is text messages. If you send them U.S. mail, you know, you may as well forget it. It's just forget it. They don't, it's, Definitely and even, not email. It's not, and email's yeah. not going to work. No. Uh, but what people prefer, what they're comfortable with, what they insist on, this is the way they engage is two-way text messaging. But if you're the plan, you can't do that. So we've got to change that that rule. Uh, recently, there was, uh, again, I'm being positive here. Recently, the uh, uh, FCC and CMS got together and made a new de- uh, declaratory ruling that for the purposes of of redetermination, so only for redetermination, what that means is for Medicaid members who haven't qualified for Medicaid or requalified in the last few years because they didn't have to because of the public health emergency. Now that the public health emergency is ending, though about 15 million Medicaid members have to go are at risk of losing their Medicaid if they don't successfully get re-qualified. And, and over the last three, two and a half, three years, they've moved, plans don't have their addresses, they don't know how to contact them. So finally, so the FCC, and this is the good thing, so I wanna congratulate the FCC and CMS. They said, they kinda, they jumped into 2023 <laughs> out of the, you know, the 1990s. Yes. And they said, for this purpose, you can text your members. This is a good thing, but that should, it shouldn't just be for redetermination, it should be more generally. So yeah. I think, uh, you're you're right, Leah, you mentioned this. There's some there's some basic stuff that we need to do in order to give people access. But the 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 one other thing I think we've learned, and this is to your point, Robin, uh, people, the, the healthcare system writ large has come to, I think the pandemic has taught us that virtual care works. And it and that it can, and I think virtual care is going to be a big, big part, and we'll talk about this of healthcare in the, in the US going forward. But here's the concern that I think, since we're talking about health equity, we need to make sure that that those virtual care solutions are developed with a, a health equity lens. Because if we aren't careful, we'll reinforce some of the disparities because we'll rush to have virtual solutions that work for certainly higher income and educated you know, po- parts of the population, but for lower income, less educated, less health, you know, less literate, health, healthcare literate. And, and in some cases, they don't eat people who English is not a first language. And we're talking about, you know, a big part of the American family. If we're not careful, we're going to gravitate to a system that is a, that while it has the possibility of reducing disparities, it's going to reinforce disparities as opposed to reducing them because we won't get the technology right. We won't build technology for everybody. We'll just build it for the people that it's easy to build it for. And that's what we've got to be, I think, you know, thoughtful about as we move forward. 
Yeah. And that's what I was referencing at the front end. I think there's a great risk of that happening. And so, you know, one of the things that Verizon is doing that you've been partnering with us around Abner is um, investing in startups who are focusing on health equity uh, as they're building their technologies. Um, we have an accelerator for our audience, a Forward for Good accelerator that Verizon has hosted the last couple of years. Um, our focus for the end of 2022 and moving into 2023 for our accelerator is on this issue of health equity and looking for startups who are building uh, platforms, applications, uh, remote patient monitoring device program based programs that are um, built by teams and leaders who have uh, a, a representative story in this space uh, and, and a point of view, a very unique point of view. Uh, they're building capabilities that are specifically targeted at or focusing on these disparity issues. And it's been exciting, I think, to to look at them and, and how they're building the, these programs out. Um, so for both of you, I know I, I I was thrilled to see the intentionality, um, the data, the research um, behind a lot of the things that we were looking at. What ex what excites you? What have you seen, not just through our accelerator, because Abner, I know you, you work with um, other uh, startup groups as well and talk to a lot of folks in the space who are, are building out platforms and capabilities. Um, where are we seeing that working and begin to emerge as a model? Um, what, what do you see that excites you? Um, in terms of the technology that's emerging specifically around health equity? First of all, I just want to say uh, to, that Verizon, I, I want to, to thank Verizon and thank you guys. Uh, uh, it's so important <clears throat> for, you know, big, established, well-respected, uh, well-respected, you know, uh, uh, partners in the healthcare ecosystem to recognize the importance of creating new technology solutions that are, that, that, you know, are being created with that health equity lens. And so the Forward for Good Accelerator, the Verizon Accelerator, what you guys did and the companies that you brought forward. Um, and and now I think, I don't know if you've announced the, the folks who are we in the Accelerator. We have it, so okay. I was gonna say, we can't yeah, so name can't them, we're excited to names. name them soon, but we can talk about yeah. generally <laughs> kind of what we've seen. Yeah. yeah, you were kind enough to to invite me to be one of the uh, the reviewers or the advisors uh, to help select the companies. Um, I was uh, I was just stunned, uh, as you were, by the, the quality of, of these or these these startups, um, mo all of them were health equity focused. Almost all of them had a founder of color or, or founders of color. Um, they were connected to to, to communities. So, uh, getting uh, helping those those entrepreneurs is to me a big part of solving this problem. Because if we if we continue the way we are now, which is that less than like one and a half percent of venture capital goes to founders of color. I mean, the fact that I got venture funding, my company's venture back, uh, that automatically makes me a unicorn because <laughs> it's so rare that a founder of color gets venture capital uh, backing in yes. our country. That That's a shame. And what it means is that that some of the very people who have the experiences and knowledge to build solutions that can help uh, address these uh, all communities, they're being locked out. Um, and so I, I think what Verizon has done is tremendous. I can't wait until you know until you announce the, the folks who are in the accelerator. Um, I think that we're, we're seeing you know remote patient monitoring. We're seeing you know people who uh, uh, are are uh, developing ways for patients to easily, for instance, this sounds simple, but it's really it doesn't exist to select a doctor who looks like them. 
I mean, that what we know is that when people, it helps build trust when the doctor shares your experiences that looks like you. And so, you know, we've seen some of those solutions. It's just a, it's a fantastic group. And I'm seeing this more, more generally that, that more and more uh, entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs of color, are stepping forward and saying, I've got an idea that I think can help make our system work better. I think the shame thing, you know, it's a shame that we just don't have enough funding for those, those, uh, those entrepreneurs. And that's something we need to focus on it. But when less than, and frankly, women, less than, I think, 2% of venture funding goes to women CEOs. So we, we, we we've got to do better. Um, I, and, and I, I'm hopeful that, that, you know, people will follow Verizon's lead, other healthcare stakeholders, and put a stake in the ground here the way you guys have. We appreciate that, Abner. Certainly, I, I would say it is um, a business imperative from the top down uh, at Verizon. It starts with our CEO, uh, who's very passionate about digital equity in general and health equity and, uh, you know, girls in STEM and just a, a lot of things that we're invested in as a company. And that really does push downward into how we you know, work with our customers and partners. And um, it's, a, it's an important part of what we, it's not just a corporate social responsibility checkbox for us. And, and I hope there's other organ and there are plenty of other uh, organizations out there who are saying this isn't, this isn't a big part. We have a responsibility uh, as a, uh, especially as a carrier <laughs> to look at how um, our most enabling capabilities are supporting uh, patients and students and, and, and populations and uh, tribal communities and, and others to be able to have access to um, connectivity to the internet and to the services that are uh, not a want anymore. They're a need to function and to live every day. So we appreciate you being part of that. Um, so Robin, back to you on the accelerator and the technologies that we're seeing. Um, what did what impressed you? What did you see through that process that, that gets you excited about uh, the tech we're seeing come out of that space? I think Abner described it really well, and I'm honored to be part of the accelerator as well. Um, I think you know, hearing the journey of the founders and, you know, through their own experience working, navigating the healthcare system. And honestly, a lot of them were very challenged by navigating that healthcare system. And then really having the, you know, the, the bravery, the courage to, to go out and start a company so that other people wouldn't have to go through what they did was really impacted me a lot. And that's across maternal. We know the, you know, maternity um, rates are, you know, folks of color, those stats are, are you know, need to get better. Um, remote patient monitoring, other, other programs. Um, but what resonated with me was, you know, they really leveraged their own personal experience and, you know, the, the desire and want to just not have anyone else have to go through what they did really resonated with me um, across the board. So, um, yeah, we're excited to announce that that soon and really, you know, give these folks a, a leg up. Well, the point of view is critical, right? I mean, it, 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 it's one of the, again, one of those assumptions we have to address. Who knows barriers better than someone who's has, had to push against them and who's going to be able to identify gaps in, in language and communication and, and um, you know, feature functionality than someone who's um, on the receiving end or, um, you know, pushing through those. So it's really just important. Yeah, Can I just add one thing about the accelerator that really excited excited me. And again, you know, Verizon deserves a lot of credit for this. As we looked at the companies, we we intentionally always said, is this solution being built in a way that it can serve low-income people? Because what has happened in technology, and it happened a lot in the pandemic and it continues, 
the best way to get venture capital funding and the best way, frankly, to, to maybe have a, you know, get early success with a company is to build a solution that works for well, high income people. Cause they got more money they got and, and, and to get specific to build solutions for like Medicare advantage, where the, the, the amount of money per member that's spent is much higher than Medicaid. Medicaid is like a fraction of what per member per month, the plan gets for a Medicare advantage member. So there's just more money in the Medicare Advantage program, for example. And so a lot of the solutions got built for that or the commercial space, but it was hard to get, it's hard, you know, my company, I, I experienced it. It's hard to get support and funding for solutions for, for low-income people. But here's the thing, if you build the solution for low-income people, it's easier to add bells and whistles to make it attractive for higher income people. Right. But if you yes. build for high income people, it's almost impossible to take that solution and force it into, right. into yeah. to Medicaid. And so I love the fact that we were intentional about trying to find companies that from the start were building solutions that could work for low income people as well as high income people instead of just high income people. I think the, most of the ones we looked at, their their primary focus was a health equity population. Um, there were a few that we looked at that were, were amazing uh, platforms or capabilities that had a reach into um, you know, health equity populations, but were built for a broader population, um, meaning it'll work for everybody, but it'll, it, will, it will be great for this group. But I, I loved that the majority that we looked at and one of the, again, one of the screening questions we really asked is, is your primary focus here um, uh, a marginalized community or a health access community or an, an equity community because you're going to build differently for that community than you will for just a broader uh, way. If it's diabetes, you may be building it for everyone who has diabetes, but if you're building it specifically for diabetics who have historically have challenges access, accessing diagnostics and resources and supplies and, and um, you know, reimbursement, all of those, then you're going to build differently. You're going to think differently about how you're positioning that from design and engineering to even how it's marketed, right? Which was some of what we looked at um, in, in those programs. Super exciting. Well, thank you guys so much um, for this. I, I would love, we have a little bit of time left. Um, I'd love for you to share an example, if you have one, uh, Abner, a project maybe or program that you're working on right now, other than our accelerator uh, process, um, that's specifically addressing an equity issue, it could be technology or a partnership that, um, just an opportunity to highlight maybe something that's that's really working or ha has some legs on it uh, out there in market right now. Sure. So the one thing we're excited about, you know, at, at Same Sky Health is the interest that our health plan uh, uh, partners, and I'm talking a lot about Medicaid here, but also Exchange and, and Medicare Advantage, um, uh, their willingness and desire to uh, actually collect this rail data as a first step, race, ethnicity, and language, and, and then SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, and SDOH data. So we are being hired now. We've built a, a solution. We call it Culture Guide, uh, and our plan partners are deploying it across their member populations for the, the, the level of, of interest and commitment to understanding more about who that 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 patient or that health plan member is, uh, is is truly refreshing. And and what's exciting is we've built the technology platform that allows us to do that at scale, uh, to and and it allows us to build trust. As you if you can connect with people at that deeper cultural level, and that's that's what our tech, our platform is all about. You can build trust, which allows you to navigate people to healthcare at the right time in the right place. So I just want to 
thank our health plan partners. I won't name them. They know who they are um, <laughs> because they're taking the step. They're, 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 they're getting beyond words and they're saying yeah. we're actually going to take action uh, to, under, to, to build a better, more trusted relationship with our members. And I think, I that's think we could talk about that more. We don't have time, but the, I, we're yeah. seeing a, 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 a commitment and a lean in from the payer space uh, unprecedented in, in years past to really take on um, the, 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 the cost and, and expense in some cases of supporting these communities, whether it's, you know, for disease management, identifying high risk, low access patient populations that really need, um, you know, more support in managing disease. And I, I just think we're seeing a, a, a move there in the payer space that we haven't seen in the past, which is great because there's always, there's always the question of, Who's going to pay for that? <laughs> who's who's willing to take on the the burden and you know the, the cost of really caring for people that um, that that need it? And it's great to see. And, and in some cases, we're seeing it with employers as well who are taking some of that on. But pay, payers certainly, in a way, we have not in the past. Um, we appreciate that. So, Robin, I last question, same one. Any um, project? I know one comes to mind for me for Verizon that we're working on. Um, partner that we're working with that is really driving uh, community-based care. Your thoughts there? I think, um, you know, the the big push I've seen is from payers, providers, they just want to have more touch points, that continuity of care with their patient populations for, you know, a host of reasons, right? Because if I'm, if I have more data, more touch points with my patients, I have a better view of their health condition and we can intersect earlier and, and hopefully make those chronic conditions, you know, address those head on earlier, right? So that earlier intervention takes many forms, right? Um, RPM, remote patient monitoring is something we enable all the time. You know, we work with a lot of folks across the board and I hear from, you know, many, many health systems that have you know, they're, they're ramping up their RPM programs to really have more touch points in the home. So that's something, you know, as Verizon, as a connectivity device, you know, uh, player in the space, we can enable those programs and we're ramping up those. But then also, like you mentioned, Liet, you know, a company we work with that has healthcare kiosks is just another example of that, right? How can I put these healthcare stations, and I've even seen them for eye care, to basically connect those patients in the community, in a Walgreens or a retail pharmacy or a homeless shelter, all these places where, you know, folks that need care aren't getting it, putting in access points into that healthcare system, I think is is a, a wonderful thing. And it addresses, you know, the cost factor. We can get them connected to care. We can get, connect them to social services. If we can just have more touch points, more entry points into those, those sites, I think that's a win for everybody across the Definitely board. Definitely is. I appreciate that. We're, we're definitely going to circle back to kiosk model care uh, in a future episode <laughs> of this podcast uh, and, and uh, invite some of those partners on. But we are seeing kiosks. Um, you know, they, they, there, there was an attempt at them a few years back prior to the pandemic, telehealth uh, kiosks. We didn't have the reimbursement models in place, honestly, for that to really get off the ground uh, at the time. But this accelerated adoption and reimbursement, um, you know, runway that we've seen coming out uh, through and out of the pandemic is enabling some of those. The, the idea of putting uh, kiosks as the doorway to managed, coordinated care um, for, for folks, and again, going back to that statement I made earlier that there are patients who aren't 
the problem isn't that they can't access care, it's that they won't, or they have a lack of trust around going into a traditional healthcare facility to do that, but they might be more comfortable going into a community center, uh, using a kiosk, having a telehealth visit that way. And so there's um, a lot of ways that we're seeing runways sort of cleared to enable that. And I would love to talk about that in the future. We are at the end of our time. I have a feeling we're going to see two episodes created out of this uh, dialogue. Uh, Robin, thank you for being here uh, and supporting the conversation. Abner, we are so grateful for your time, uh, your um, expertise, just your point of view um, personally and professionally around these issues. And um, thank you for being such an advocate for patients and populations who really need it um, and being part of programs and partnerships uh, like ours uh, to really accelerate uh, the changes that we all need to see with those populations and communities, uh, getting the care that they need, uh, having access to the technologies that they need and, and the devices and all of the things that will help uh, bring that equity line up uh, for uh, raise all boats for everyone in the system. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks very much. Have a good one. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe for more episodes of this podcast through Apple, Google, and Spotify, and find us at verizon.com forward slash healthcare.